No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there than the next of kin, of whom Boaz had spoken, came passing by. So Boaz said, Come over, friend, sit down here. And he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman, Elimelech, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence... Sorry. Oh, okay. Is that right? Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know for there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was a custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging, to confirm a transaction. The one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, Acquire it for yourself. He took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of Marlon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathath and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore, bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the woman, women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, 
for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons that has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighbourhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the descendants of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Amminabab of Nashon, Nashon of Salmon, Salmon of Boaz, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, and Jesse of, of David. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Elaine. In the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 2, the prophet calls out with this cry of hope and faith in really difficult and troubled times. He says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The glory of God is coming, and the knowledge of God cannot be stopped, it will prevail. It will triumph, and the truth of God will transform all things. But, 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 in the meantime, we have our lives to live. You in your small corner and I in mine, as the Sunday School children's hymn went. It was written in the 19th century, Jesus Bids Us Shine. Does anyone know the tune for Jesus Bids Us Shine? Just a few, yeah. Jesus bids us shine with a pure light, a pure clear light, like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, so let us. In this world is darkness, so let us shine. You in your small corner, and I in mine. Well done, Elaine. <laughs> in a dark time, and the time of Judges was one of those really dark times in Israel's history. God is working His purposes out, and He works them out through ordinary people. People like you and me with lights shining in our lives. His glory peeks through the gloom. It peeks through the shabby spiritual clothes we sometimes put on ourselves, um, the falling short in our lives. It peeks through the, the cracked pots, not cracked pots, but cracked pots, St. <laughs> Paul said, that we actually are. And his glory will prevail. The glory of God will prevail. But how should we live if we know that this is the truth, that the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that God's purposes are being worked out. God is working his purposes out, as the, as the hymn says. Well, the book of Ruth and Ruth chapter 4 is a precious resource to help us answer this question. How do we live knowing that the glory of God will prevail? The story of Ruth and Naomi wraps up rather, rather neatly in this final chapter. Boaz, whose heart is set on Ruth, manages his victory, his achievement, with great skill. To marry Ruth, he must redeem the land of Naomi's husband. But there is another kinsman redeemer. In, in Hebrew, the word is goel. There's another goel who stands in the way. And this other man has the prior claim, and he actually does want the land but he doesn't want the Moabite widow. 
And Boaz anticipates this and he works out a strategy to work his way through this. Why would this other man not want Ruth? Well, we're not quite sure. Perhaps the fact that she was married for 10 years, according to Ruth chapter 1 verse 4, without having any children, perhaps that has something to do with it. There's a risk that she's unable to conceive. Actually, it's quite common that couples can't conceive and usually it's 50% likely to be the woman, 50% the man. It's not so predictable what, what, where the reason is. might be something that's working between them. But uh, in that culture, at that time, if a woman didn't bear a child, it was assumed to be something wrong with the woman. So that, maybe that was the reason why he didn't want to marry her, that she might not conceive. He says he's worried about compromising his own inheritance, and it's not quite clear what that's about. Does it mean that if, if he did have a child by Ruth, that this child might inherit his property somehow, or that his own inheritance might not be passed on? Anyway, what we do know is that he wants the land of his relative and to take it over, but he doesn't want to pass on an heir to this land that's distinctively um, from a bit, uh, would be Abimelech's heir, actually, um, through Ruth. Maybe if he'd been offered something else, like a set of steak knives, he might have just taken the land, but he didn't want a Moabite wife, that's clear. So that, that put him off the whole deal. And he passes it on to Boaz. So he says, oh, Boaz, you... You redeem her, because I don't really want this Moabite woman in my house. Anyway, Boaz is absolutely delighted with his outcome. In fact, he's worked towards it. He's set up this all up. He's got the witnesses. It's all been arranged at the city gate there. And everyone can see that Boaz is the right person to redeem the land and to also uh, take up Ruth as his bride. And they're really blessed in their union. They bear a son, Obed, which means a servant of God. And in his turn, he will become the grandfather of King David. So this is no ordinary child. And it's really interesting in verse 13. It's clearly said that the Lord caused her to conceive. Now, that isn't always said when people have children in the Bible. It's not normally said. But it's said in this case because there was an issue about whether she could conceive. Bearing children is a natural enough thing but as we've seen, Ruth had gone for 10 years without having any children. But God is working his purposes out and he causes her to conceive. He blesses her and he blesses Boaz, who's older than her. He causes her to have a child. And this sorrow, this disappointment of childlessness that Naomi had experienced twice because both her sons were married for about 10 years and neither of them had had a child before they died, this uh, curse of loss has been overturned and there's a blessing. So Ruth in her small corner, her light is shining and the light she casts, that little light of her integrity, her character, her devotion to her mother-in-law and to Yahweh, this little light will in time expand and grow and reach the whole world through her grandson King David and then through Jesus of Nazareth of the household of David. It was a very significant little light that she had that she was shining on the people around her. And this is a really great outcome. It's, it's greater than Naomi could have imagined for herself. Remember, this is the, the widow, the childless one, doubly childless because her sons had died and her sons had not had children. And then she becomes a mother again. It's really interesting in the end of chapter 4, she is described, the grandmother is described as the mother of Obed, this son. 
People even said, Naomi has a son when Ruth bears this son. Because Ruth and Boaz's son continues the male line of the family. This is an inheritor for Naomi. And also considered to be an inheritor for Abimelech, her deceased husband. It's really interesting that this story begins and ends with Naomi, the Israelite woman who suffered great loss and actually did the wrong thing probably in going and seeking refuge among the Moabites. Uh, But God rescued her with Ruth and with Boaz and with the grandson. It's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful blessing. But along the way, consider all the setbacks that they faced, the risks. There was the famine that caused them to flee Bethlehem. There was the death of Naomi's husband, the ten childless years for the two sons in the land of the Moabites. And then the sons die. And then Naomi's lament, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She went away with a husband and two sons and she came back with nothing. Actually, not quite nothing because Ruth was with her. The Almighty, she said back then, has dealt very bitterly with me. God has treated me very bitterly. She had a bone to pick with God. I've met a lot of people over the years who have a bone to pick with God, and it's a hard place to be. So Naomi's small corner had been looking very dark indeed. The ray of hope comes with Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, who, although he's apparently settled in being unmarried and is somewhat older, seems to have a good rapport with Naomi and expresses an interest in her, that he cares for her, but he doesn't push it any further. He doesn't take the initiative. Perhaps he's thinking, this young woman would not want me at all. And Naomi hatches her plan to catch him. And Ruth makes her bold move on the threshing floor, lying at his feet and asking him to extend his blanket over her, symbolically asking him to marry her. And he says, you know, God bless you that you would show this kindness to me. I'm an older man. You're not going after the younger men. And so that really tips things over for Boaz, and he decides that he's going to see if he can redeem Naomi's land and also marry Ruth. Um, So go Boaz. He's amazing. He kind of steps up to the place, steps up to what God is calling out in that case. And then there's another obstacle as well. That is, can Ruth conceive? She'd had 10 years of marriage without having a child, and she's aged a bit. She's still a young woman, but maybe not as fertile as she was 10 years earlier. But God intervenes and causes her to become pregnant. A son is born. Naomi rejoices. She who felt abandoned and without hope bitterly treated by God, rejoices, and it says that she's nursing her newborn grandson. This is a lifeline that God has given to her. Now, God's fingerprints are all over this beautiful story. Firstly, there's Ruth, who follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, and it's very telling that she doesn't just express devotion to Naomi, but she says, your God will be my God. She turns her back on the gods of the Moabites. And she devotes herself to her mother-in-law. She tethers herself to her mother-in-law. She says, where you die, there I will die. And then there's Boaz, who's been preserved for Ruth through these troubled times. Why hasn't he married already? He's a well-off guy. He seems to be in command of his circumstances. What, what, is, what is that about? What's happened in that society? But God has preserved him for this very time. 
And then there's the miracle of Obed's uh, conception as well. So God keeps working through this very difficult and painful situation, the losses of Naomi and Ruth. Through these bitter setbacks, he's working his purposes out. God is working his purposes out. The preacher John Piper puts it like this. He said, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but God sees that they get there. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but God sees that they get there. There's that old song, I never promised you a rose garden. (laughs) Who remembers that? All the gray hairs, put your hand up. Yes, okay. Yes. The Bible explains that following the Lord can be difficult, and life brings many speed bumps along the way. There are many challenges. But the promise is that to walk in a godly way following the Lord leads us to a destination that God will ensure. He will guarantee the outcome for us. Can we trust God to do his part? Well, Ruth did when she declared, your God will be my God, when she declared her devotion to Naomi and decided to go back with her to Bethlehem. God is very big. He's a very big God. I was speaking to a friend recently, and he said he gets up very early in the morning, four or five o'clock, and the first thing he does, he says, when I get up, is I remind myself how big God is. So he'd go outside and look at the stars and says, God, you're big. You're so big. (laughs) And I, I can't say that strongly enough. God is big. He's very big. And that's important to remember because of the smallness of our lives, actually. We sometimes easily forget, because we're so much looking at the smallness of our lives, um, that God's bigness is at work in our smallness. God's bigness is at work in our smallness. Paul put it like this, he said, in our weakness, he is strong. He said, I delight in my weakness, because then it's so obvious that God is strong. And in the smallness of our lives, and I don't mean to belittle our lives, but the reality is that we're here for a moment. Um, In our lives, God's greatness can be apparent, it can be at work in us. As we heard, God has been at work in Olivia and in many people's lives, and we have a testimony of the bigness of God to share with others. In obedience to God, even small obediences, God's glory is at work and it bears an eternal fruit You know, there's just so much that's trivial in the existence that the world asks us to live, in our society around us. There's so much triviality in what is served up to us, especially in our culture today. But faith in Christ wraps us in and binds us into a much grander plan than we can even imagine. And that is what Naomi experienced. And her story is, in a way, all our stories as well. I guess you've had some zigs and zags in your life. Maybe you're going through one of those moments at the moment. Or maybe you've had more speed bumps than you think is fair. More than you liked, anyway. Jesus, however, points us forward, not to look back over our shoulders at the speed bumps that we have traversed. He calls us to look to his glory, to his upward call. You know, he's calling us forward to the glory of God that will prevail. We're called to follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a promise that the glory of the Lord will advance through our lives, more than we can even hope or imagine. So I really want to encourage us all today 
to take hold of this story of Ruth and the story of salvation, really. It's the story of the character of God at work in the lives of ordinary people to bring extraordinary fruit. And that's his call on your life as well, on all our lives. And we have different paths. They're not all the same. But he calls all of us to glory and to see our lives and the circumstances of our existence in the light of his eternal purposes and his plan for us. Uh, let, me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Ruth. Thank you that in that very dark and troubled time, there were a few people of character who honoured you and that you wove their stories together in such an incredible way to bring an amazing fruit in David and then in the Lord Jesus as well. Help us, Lord, day by day to remember that even the small things of our lives are part of the outworking of your greatness. Help us to realize that we hold this incredible treasure in, our, in us, the treasure of eternity, the gift of the Spirit, the life of Christ, even in the midst of our brokenness. Lord, I pray that you would fire us up, <laughs> give us a passion for the glory of God, that you stir this up in this congregation, this day, this week, this month, and the years ahead, that the, the fire of God would burn brightly in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Our brother Keith is going to...